Again, welcome back to all the folks that have been going overseas and doing all kinds of cool things. We're going to hear a report, I guess? All right. Good, good. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. And uh, today I want to talk about something that gives me joy to talk about because your joy is going to be my joy as one of your elders. Even though I'm on sabbatical and why am I preaching, I don't know. But I love to preach, and I got a message that I believe the Lord has for you, so that's why I'm preaching today. All right, then. (laughs) All right. I want to build up your joy today. It's the joy of knowing you are His. I want to build up your joy today. I'm not talking about the joy of having a smooth life. Anybody got one of those? I'm not talking about the joy of having a great job. I'm not talking about the joy of having peace in your home all the time. I'm not talking about the joy of a fast car. And I'm not talking about the joy of a perfect guitar or the joy of a good dog. I'm talking about ultimate joy, that deep joy, the kind of joy that's going to take you through suffering because in this world there will be suffering, especially as you link up with Jesus, there's going to be some suffering you didn't have before. And it's the kind of joy that's going to be based on what never changes for you as a true believer in Jesus. Because you know something? There's nothing like the joy of knowing that Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. There is nothing like the joy of knowing that my sins are gone. And that they've been separated from me as far as the east is from the west. There is nothing like knowing the joy that of, of all the joy of knowing that all the promises that God has made for His people apply to me. Yeah, yeah. There is nothing like the joy of knowing that He will never leave me and He will never forsake me because yeah. He has made an everlasting covenant with His people. Yeah. There is nothing like the joy of knowing that the Father chose me and loves me and calls me His child. There's nothing like the joy of knowing that I'm a walking sanctuary because the Holy Spirit lives in me. And there is nothing like the joy of knowing that I will see the face of my Savior and live with Him in eternity. There is nothing like that kind of joy. And so I want to increase by the power of the Word of God and I hope the Holy Spirit helping me to increase your joy. That it will be made full. And that you will enjoy Knowing that you are His, that you belong to Him, that He is your Savior, He's with you, and He loves you eternally. Now, some of you may or may not have that joy knowing that it applies to you. And we're going to talk about a couple of different uh, different kinds of, like some of you know Some of you are saved, and you're not sure. Some of you are saved, and you're sure that you're saved. Some of you think you're saved, but you're not. And some of you are not saved, and you know it. And I'm glad everybody's here. No matter where you locate yourself, I'm glad you were all here. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. I'm just going to read it to you because I've got a couple of different passages. This is not what they call a textual sermon based on one text. This is called a topical sermon, which is based on many biblical texts. And I hope I don't take them out of context. First Peter, excuse me, second Peter chapter one, verse 10. Listen to the word of God. Therefore, brothers and sisters, 
Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities that you heard about last week in Pastor Larry's sermon, you will never fall. In this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you move to the very next letter, it's, this letter is by John. And John wrote in his first letter, in the fifth chapter, starting at verse 11, This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his holy word, and to his name let's ascribe all honor and glory. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for the wonderful ways that you have revealed yourself in Scripture and have revealed yourself in Jesus Christ, our Savior, that you have come as a human being so that we could see what it looks like for a man to follow the Father perfectly and to see what it looks like for God to walk among us and to see the Word become flesh dwelling among us full of grace and truth. And we pray that you would show us Jesus today. And I pray that you would strengthen our assurance in the things that you have truly done in our hearts. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. My son Ethan and I in 2004 went to London. And we went to London um, not for the purpose of seeing uh, Big Ben or the Westminster Abbey or the double-decker buses, but we went to uh, hang out with a guy named Bob Heppy, who is uh, planting uh, churches, multicultural churches, with Americans and Brits and Pakistanis and Indians and Afghanistanis and lots of South Asians who were born uh, Muslim and Sikh and, um, and Hindu. And I heard testimonies of people born Muslim, Hindu, and Sikh talking about how Jesus Christ met them in a real way and how they got saved. It was such a beautiful thing. And one of the things that we did on that trip was we took a tour of a mosque and we listened to the imam uh, as he spoke to us. And, and someone in the group asked the imam, okay, is it possible for you to know now that you will be okay with God when you die? He said, absolutely not not. Nobody could ever know if when they die, they're going to be okay with God. I talked to another friend of mine a few years ago. I said, he was a roofer. I said, suppose you fell off your ladder and, um, and that was that. And you face God, would you be okay with God? He said, well, it depends on what state of grace I was in at the time. There's a lot of hopelessness out there. There's a lot of uncertainty out there. And there are a lot of folks that don't believe you can be certain. Isn't that presumption? You like, like, you think you're going to be good enough to go to heaven for the rest of your life? Yeah, right. Thank God it's not about me being good enough. That would have disqualified me a long time ago. But this is not just about your future. This is not just about an- having the right answer to the question 
Why should I let you into my heaven? This is about your life right now. This is about having a real life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ, the resurrected Jesus Christ now. There's a joy that can only come from knowing that I am now right with God, that I belong to him now, that he knows my name, my identity is in him, and I depend on him every day like a branch depends on a vine. So it's about your life right now. It's not, I'm not talking necessarily, uh, yes, I am talking about that, but I'm not only talking about the future. What is it to make my calling and election sure? Those may be unusual words to use, calling and election, calling. What are we talking about, like a phone call, a political election? What, what, what are we talking about when he says, make your calling and election sure? Well, Peter also uses these words in his first letter when he says, but you, you all the people of God, the church, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, chosen people, that's the election, that you may declare the praises of him who called you, that's the calling, out of darkness and into light. Paul said that you have been called with a holy calling into, into Christ. And that's what he's talking about. But what, what Peter is saying is, I want you to take the time and be diligent to make your own specific calling and election sure. That's the calling and election that Peter has in mind. Making it sure is finding a biblical way to answer the question, does this all apply to me? I want to give you a couple of biblical examples of assurance. Uh, King David, after he did some pretty raunchy things, back in Psalms uh, 32, had the audacity to say, now this this is after he slept with his best friend's wife and killed his best friend. He said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. He's talking to God. He says, my strength was dried up as with the heat of summer. Then I acknowledge my sin to you. Well, after after Nathan busted me. And I did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who's godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. David could say all that. After all the crazy things he had just done. That's a taste of assurance. He said in Psalm 23, Surely, surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's assurance. Um, There's another dude named Asaph in Psalm 73. And he was about to kind of give up on God because he looked at life and he said that, you know, the wicked are getting off scot-free and they're doing whatever they feel like doing and they're prospering and I'm over here trying to do the right thing and I'm messed up all the time. I'm trying to do the right thing and life is not going so well for me. 
So in Psalm 73, he says, you know, so I, he said in verse, um, verse 16, when I thought how to understand this, this thing about the wicked doing great and the righteous doing poorly, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. And then I discerned their end. He says, you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. Afterwards, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my life and my portion forever. And I'm going to give you one more taste of assurance, and it's in Romans chapter 8. And you know, I, um, in this life, I'm going to memorize the whole book the whole eighth chapter of Romans, because I love it so much. I could probably kind of, you know, get through it uh, here and there uh, with a lot of mistakes, but I'd love to just memorize the whole thing. It's it's so beautiful. Listen to this. Paul is talking about all the, you know, he's talking about how he knows he's a child of God because the Spirit testifies to his spirit that he is indeed a child of God. He knows that he's going through a lot of suffering. He says suffering is going to happen to me every day. Suffering is, 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 is big, but the sufferings that I experience in this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to follow. And he says, so, so who's, who is going to condemn me? Who is, who, who, uh, you know, he says, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Um, you know, these are rhetorical questions, meaning <laughs> there's nobody that can rock my assurance, he says. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure. I am. You hear that? I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor the things present, nor things to come, nor powers, or height, or depth, nor anything else in all creation would ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a taste of assurance. And I want everybody, at the sound of my voice, everybody who I have any influence with, anybody that I am a friend of, I I want all my friends, everybody I know to have what I call Romans 8 assurance. To be able to say, I'm sure. That nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. But everybody's experience is different. I was raised in church. And, um, you know, when I was nine years old, as often as done in, in this particular church, I, I walked the aisle, you know, I came up to the front, talked to the preacher, got baptized a little bit later. But I never had peace of conscience. Every time anybody talked about the Lord Jesus coming back, I got nervous. Like, I'm not ready. I am not ready for Jesus Christ to come back because I knew enough from being raised in church that that's either really good news or really bad news, depending on where you are with Jesus. And so I got really nervous until I was around 18 years old. And the Lord sent people into my life and, and, and preaching into my life and, and people who showed me Jesus. 
and how Jesus died in my place, and I, how I, I, and, and I was able to completely trust him with my life. And, and he took away all my sins, and he gave me his record of righteousness. And I knew that I was right with him, and since I was 18 years old, I really have not struggled too much with assurance of salvation because he has reminded me in many, many ways, and through the body of Christ, through you, strengthen my faith. And I know he's mine, and I know that I am his. My wife, Grace, never knew a time when she didn't believe that Jesus Christ was the true Savior of the world. Her father was a wonderful preacher of the gospel. He was Christ-centered. Um, and uh, and so, so as Grace listened to him preach, things began to stir in her conscience. And for her, the faith that she had in Jesus Who knows when that began because she always believed. But there was a time when she wondered, does God really love me? I got her permission to tell you this story. And so so she, she, uh, she she would go to church on a Sunday evening. She'd come home and give her life to Jesus again. And then she'd do it in another couple weeks. Every other Sunday night she'd get saved. And, and, uh, and she would say to, the, to God, God, I know that the angels rejoice every time a sinner repents. Could you just not tell them this time? Because I think they're getting tired of rejoicing over me coming back again and again and again and again. But it was sometime later in her 20s as she began to, uh, in, in, her, in her interaction with God's Holy Spirit and God's Holy Scripture, that she says, yes, God loves Everybody's story is different. I got another friend who says, I know that I got converted in the middle of a dumpster in inner city St. Louis while he and his street gang were running from the police. He knows, and I know. I mean, I I love this. He's a pastor. And And he says, I know. That was the time when the Holy Spirit caused me to be born again right there in the middle of that dumpster, running away with my street gang from the police. Life in this world does not make it easy to know that you're his. Some of you got stuff in your past that makes you not so sure. Maybe you had to make decent grades before you knew that mom and dad really loved you. And you're never sure if A was okay or if it needed to be an A+. And you transfer that over to God, and you wonder how much is enough. Stuff from your past. I have a pastor friend, actually the same guy that got saved in the dumpster. He said that, you know, he's a pastor, and, and, and people look up to him as a pastor. And um, he says he was giving his testimony uh, when I was pastoring the church. And he says, I bet you all think that when I wake up in the morning every day, I go, when morning gilds the skies, my heart awakening cries, may Jesus Christ be praised. He says, that's not the first thought I think. My first thought when I wake up in the morning is where am I going to get some heroin? He doesn't do that anymore. But that's his first thought when he wakes up in the morning. Some stuff from your past can rock your assurance, can make it hard to feel sure. Sometimes you read the Bible and you see a gap between where you are and where the Bible says you ought to be, especially when you look at Jesus. And that gap gets really big, if you're honest. 
with yourself. Sometimes you read the Sermon on the Mount like we did for a few months. And, and you think, could I ever live like that? Could I ever live like, like Jesus is calling us to live? And you see that gap. You see a gap between where you are and, and where you think another Christian is. A lot of, sometimes you write about that other person. Sometimes you think, sometimes you have an, a, a view of that Christian that is obviously somebody who doesn't live with him. But you think, wow, the, this guy's really got it together. And I'm nowhere like, like this person. Am I for real or am I faking it? Sometimes you may struggle with the sin that you just keep doing and you can't stop. And that rocks your assurance. Maybe uh, you might be living a lifestyle that God says no to. And you're not at peace with yourself, but you don't want to get out of it. And you don't have assurance during that time because your conscience is bugging you. Maybe you're going through a time of suffering. It just makes you question everything. So how can I know? i got three things real quick and I'm out of your way. First thing is get the difference between assurance and faith. Faith and and assurance. There's some overlap, but they're two different things. And it helps to know that there is a difference. True faith rests upon Jesus Christ alone for salvation. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Assurance is the confidence that your faith is real. You see the difference? If you don't yet have assurance, your lack of assurance doesn't necessarily mean you're not a believer. You hear that? If you don't yet have assurance, your lack of assurance does not necessarily mean you're not a believer. A true believer can lack assurance of salvation and still be a believer. Because 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 says, Make your calling and election sure. You know what he's implying is that you can be called and you can be elected and still not sure. But it's a blessing God wants you to have. Faith is the root. Assurance is the flower. Faith is the root. Assurance is the flower. A couple of quotes from the Westminster Confession, which is the doctrinal standard for the other churches that this church is connected with. And it says this, and I I love this passage. I'm going to try. This infallible assurance doth not, it was written in the 1600s, doth not so belong to the essence of faith, but that a true believer may wait long and conflict with many difficulties before he become a partaker of it. You all get that? Faith and insurance are not the same, uh, and, uh, and assurance are not the same thing. So you might wait a long time before you have full assurance that your faith is real. So you can be a true follower of Jesus, heaven-bound, and still not be sure. I think there's some freedom in knowing that. Secondly, it's not only possible to be saved and not sure, it's also possible to think you're saved and you're really not. What you may need is not assurance but faith. Because the heart is deceitful, says Jeremiah. Above all else, and desperately sick, who can understand it? In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus said that everyone who comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, uh, not everybody, 
who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name didn't we cast out demons? And in your name didn't we perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, do you know what bothers me most about this passage? Those people who talk about those things, they're churchy folk. They're people who grew up in church. They know church language. They know church stuff. They're doing church things. But you know what it is? They're churchy folk with an attitude. They're saying, we did this for you, we did this for you, and we did this for you, you owe me. A saved person never says that to Jesus. (laughs) That's just not what a saved person says. How do people get deceived like that? Here are five common ways. One, you only listen to people who affirm you. Oh, honey, of course you're okay with God. And you don't listen to anybody else. Two, trust in something you did a long time ago. Like, I went to a youth retreat and I had this experience and I cried. There's no, you know, I mean, I'm not walking with Jesus now or anything, but I must be okay, right? Or, my mom prayed the sinner's prayer with me when I was seven. I'm not growing in Jesus. I don't really care much about Jesus right now, but I'm okay, right? I passed an interview with the elders at New Life. Mm. That might have happened a long time ago, but what's going on in your life right now? There's no growth, no evidence, no hunger for the things of God, no desire to be in a close relationship with God. That's trusting in something you did a long time ago. Third way that people get deceived is trusting in your upbringing. Sure, I'm a Christian. That's the way I was raised. Fourth way to get deceived, trust in your knowledge of good theology. It goes brain deep, and the Bible says that demons can do that pretty well. Number five, a way to get deceived is trust in your ability to be really nice. At least I'm not a jerk. I must be okay. There is only one hope for all of us. Jesus came into this world to save sinners like me. So go to Jesus and trust in him alone. Only Jesus can take away your guilt. Only Jesus died for your sins. All the hell that I deserved was laid on him, and he died with all the sins of all who believe, and he buried those sins forever, and then he rose from the grave and conquered sin and death forever. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can make you acceptable. Only Jesus can make you righteous. Only Jesus can make you holy. Only Jesus can connect you to God and bring you into his family and into his kingdom. And only Jesus can change your life by giving you the Holy Spirit. So go to Jesus. You know, Jesus said, everyone who comes to me, no way will I ever cast you away. Everyone who comes to me, I will never cast away. Go to Jesus. You can go to Jesus right now. Right in the place where you're sitting. Do not let another moment pass of wondering whether you're in or not. You can go to Jesus and and, and grab onto him with empty hands of faith, raising his empty hands of faith and say, Jesus, I have nothing but need. I have nothing 
but my own record of sin. I have nothing to offer you. You have everything to offer me. Bring it. I need it. You can come to Jesus just like that. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, even while you're driving in the car, just don't close your eyes. Jesus says, come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden, burdened, I will give you rest. Take up my yoke. That is, become a partner with me in my work, the kingdom work with the king. And you will find rest for your souls. Rest for your conscience. So how do I grow in my assurance? And I'll close here. Seven things, ways to grow your assurance. Because, you know, it is kind of a, it's not just a once and done kind of thing. It it helps, you need to be able to grow in your assurance. So, seven things. One, soak your head in the truth of the gospel and look to Christ's obedience, not yours. You come to a church like this and two things will happen. You either get more and more and more established in the gospel of the free grace of Jesus Christ or you get hardened in your heart. You can become gospel-hardened listening to sermons about the, the, the grace of God. Don't Pay attention to what's going on in your heart. Ask God to speak to you when you come in here on a Sunday morning. Pray for whoever preaches. Pray that you have a significant meeting with God. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7 says this. After Timothy, there it is. Titus chapter 3 says, We ourselves, this is Paul talking, we were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy and hated by others and hating one another. Other than that, we were great. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing, cleansing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Soak your head in the gospel. Number two, plunge into gospel obedience. The Bible says we are saved by grace through faith, and this faith not of yourself, but is a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared beforehand for us to walk into. Are you walking in those good works? Are you walking in the obedience? obedience? When you read the Bible, do you say, "Uh uh-uh, no way. Or would you read the Bible, does your new, redeemed heart say, okay, okay, lead on, lead on. You're my king, you're my Lord, you call the shots, you lead on. You can go back to, the first, to 2 Peter chapter 1, and, uh, and, and, you, and where, where, where Peter, where we heard last week, Peter says, add to your faith. In fact, that Greek word can also mean furnish. Furnish a house for your faith. Don't let your faith sleep on the floor. Add some furnishings in that house. Add to your faith virtue and goodness and knowledge and, and brotherly kindness and, and, and self-giving love. And then it says, if you add those qualities to your life, what's going to happen? 
you're going to remember that you've been forgiven of all your past sins. And if you don't have those qualities, you're kind of out there and you might forget that you were delivered from your past sins, that you were ever cleansed. Plunge yourself into gospel obedience because low-level obedience results in low-level assurance. Three, repent of all known sin and fight it daily. Romans chapter 8, verse 13 says that if you put to death the deeds, the misdeeds of the body, you shall live. And it is by the Spirit. If you, by the Spirit, put to death the misdeeds of the body, you shall live. That means that you're fighting sin. Fight, no fight, no life. You're fighting sin, even if you lose, that's life. You fight, fight, but not independently, but you fight as a child of God whom the Spirit is testifying to your heart that you are a child of God. Another thing, number three. Um, no, that's number four. Confess your faith before a watching world. Read the book of Acts. Look at the boldness of the apostles. And you know, every time, every time you get to talk to somebody who does not believe and is perhaps, you know, perhaps antagonistic about Christianity, and you say, all I can say is that I was blind and now I can see. All I can say is I know that Jesus loves me and walking with Jesus is much, much better than anything I can imagine in this world. And you just simply tell, this is where I'm at. That builds your assurance and it builds your faith. Next, express your doubts with somebody who will be honest with you but does possess assurance. You've got some elders who would love to talk with you about these things. Related to that, hang around people who have assurance. And then two more. Examine yourselves for birthmarks. Have you been born again? If you've been born again, then the certain things that John in his first letter taught... By the way, 1 John is all about how to know whether you are a child of God or not. You read it and you see, this is how we know that we belong to God. You read it and, and, and you see that over and over and over again. The person who loves the people of God is, is born of God. If you don't love the people of God, you don't. You're probably not born of God. Um, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, come in the flesh, you are born of God. If you don't believe that, you're probably not. And so there are lots of birthmarks, a love for Jesus, a hatred for sin, a fear of God, a willingness to obey and serve Jesus, a growing boldness for him, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, self-control. Um, self-control, oh, oh man, I need that one more. Love for your enemies, love for your brothers and your sisters, love for Jesus appearing. You are looking forward to seeing Jesus. That's an indication that you're probably, that you love him. You want to see his face. It's not, because, it's not so that you can go to heaven and see your mama who went before you. It's not so that you can go to heaven and not go to hell. It's not simply so that you can have, a, have, have good things happen to you after you die. It's because Jesus is worth everything to you. He is your treasure. He is the one that you want to see more than anybody in the whole yeah. world. Yeah. Amen. But these things are in seed form. Not necessarily all full-blown. They grow in you. But look for those things. Look for those birthmarks. And finally, pay attention to the witness of the Spirit. 
Romans chapter 8, 15, and 16 say that the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we're the children of God, that means we're heirs. And if we're heirs, that means that we inherit everything God wants to give Jesus. Then we are joint heirs with our big brother, Jesus Christ. And heirs of the Father, one with each other. Listen, listen, pay attention to the inner witness of the Holy Spirit testifying to your spirit that you're in, that you're one of his children. This is not something you can work out like a formula. It's not something you can really put your finger on. It's something like this. You're going through life, and you either go through life like a slave, a slave to other people's opinions, a slave to your culture, a slave, a religious slave, turning Christianity into a set of rules that you can keep, or you can go through life hearing something deep inside of you. You are not on your own. You are not alone in this world. You can call on your Father in heaven anytime, anyplace, and you can call him Dad. You can call him Abba. You feeling that? The very name that Jesus used in the garden when he was agonizing before the Father, just before he gave his life for his people, he said, Abba. And the Bible says you can talk to God the very same way. My dad. Pay attention to the work of the Spirit of God deep inside of you, reminding you that you are an heir, a joint heir with Jesus, you are his. Benefits of assurance, that's it. Enjoyment of forgiveness, you can sleep at night with a clear conscience. I like that. More benefits. Confidence in your adoption. I know who I belong to. Steadfastness in suffering. Oh, Bob, did you have to say that? You're going to suffer one way or the other. Why not suffer with and for Jesus for a good cause, knowing that your suffering will never be in vain? Confidence in Christ as you face the world. Greater incentive for holiness of life. It says that the grace of God, which has appeared to every person, has, uh, has manifested itself and teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live godly, self-controlled lives. We get that from the grace of God. And finally, joy unspeakable and full of glory. 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice greatly, with joy inexpressible and full of glory. It is my joy to see your joy in Christ. So make your calling and election sure by biblical means and enter into the joy of knowing that you belong to the Father and that he knows your name. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's, um, let's commit that to prayer. Lord, thank you for the revelation and the word of God that tells us how we can know where we stand with you. It's good to know where we stand. Thank you, Lord, that you tell us the hard things and you tell us the beautiful and joyful things that we can trust in you. And we pray that you would continue to make 
everyone's calling and election. Sure, I pray that if anyone has not yet crossed over that line of faith, I pray, Father, for a work of your spirit to do what no man, no preacher could ever do. I pray that everyone, no one will leave this house unhealed, unsaved, unassured. I pray that in Jesus' name.